Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on sales and marketing alignment, three critical areas where collaboration is essential. In it, you'll discover how you can better align your sales and marketing teams to drive growth. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod324. October is National Women in Business Month, and over the course of the month, we're hearing from some exciting women in various areas of business, and today is no exception to that. This is Elizabeth Frederick, as always, and I am really excited about today's guest. She's the CEO and founding partner of the S3 Agency, which is an award-winning agency specializing in creating advertising, public relations, and social media campaigns. And she's also the communications chair for the New Jersey chapter of EO, and she is an expert in brand elevation, which is what we're going to be focusing on today. She is based in lovely New Jersey, just across the river from me. So welcome to the show, Denise Blasevic. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here, Elizabeth. I am just so glad you could join me. I, I've thought back since we had our original conversation a couple weeks ago and um, really, really enjoyed speaking to you. So I know I'll enjoy the conversation today. But before we jump into that, I'd love it if you could introduce yourself to our listeners. I just shared, you know, the bullets, but you're more than bullets. So <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I am a co-founder of the S3 agency. We started the agency 20 years ago, unbelievably, this year. And it has been, you know, quite a wild ride to see how things have changed in our industry from the creative execution side. Obviously, so many new channels, you know, social media constantly changing, digital, all of that. Um, and and for brands, right? And what, mm-hmm. what we've realized, I think that branding is more important than ever right now because with so many channels and so many people discovering things online and not not having the opportunity like brands used to to just kind of control the conversation, it's more important than ever to have a truly strategically differentiated brand and to start your marketing based there so that your marketing can work harder and all align around this you know, really differentiated positioning. Definitely. Where did you kind of develop the interest in this and the passion for this? Because it really comes out in your voice. Um, <laughs> I'd just love to hear kind of where that came from. Thank you. You know, I, I have always, since I was a little kid, I've always loved commercials. I could probably sing you every jingle I ever heard. Um, and I did, yeah, I didn't think I'd go into that though. My, you know, my mother is a very, very creative person, you know, can paint anything, draw anything, figure out the wiring in a house. Like she can do anything like that. And that was never my forte. I was always very good with words and I liked to write, but I never thought that that would be my future. I thought that actually I would be a lawyer. Uh, I learned that I would not be a lawyer when I went to law school and the first <laughs> semester was all about contracts and torts and I wanted to gouge my own eyes out. So um, so I, I really sort of fell into it. I was, I was going to go back to school and uh, get my degree in Greek literature, my master's. I don't know what I would have done with that, but I thought gods and goddesses were really cool. <laughs> and, uh, and that summer, um, you know, someone had an ad agency, was looking for someone to come help out answering the phones while somebody was on maternity leave. And I went and did that. And I heard the creative team brainstorming ads. And I, I just thought that their headlines, you know, could be better. So I just came up with some and, and gave them to the agency. And the next day I was offered a job as a copywriter. And so it sort of just you know, burgeon from there. I did not expect this at all, but it turned out I, I've always been a creative problem solver and I didn't think about creativity in that way, but that really is what marketing is, right? I always thought about creativity in, in the fine arts and, and, and things mm-hmm. that you do with your hands and, and, you know, concepts, solving problems. That is 
that's a, a really interesting skill set that you don't need to have fine arts background for. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think um, a lot of times we kind of limit, like you said, what we think of being creativity, but it takes a lot of creativity to come up with, you know, some things are easy to write copy about and other things require a great deal of creativity (laughs) to figure out why, you know, what's interesting about this. And that's, I think, one of the things that we're going to be getting into today. So um, speaking of that, you focus in your work on brand elevation. And I'd like to, before we kind of get into any of the how, um, what does that actually mean to you? Yeah. Well, brand elevation, if if we think about like getting a brand to stand out above others in their field, right? There are so many brands out there, you know, every every company has a brand, but they don't always define their brand. So sometimes they have a brand by default. And if you don't have a really differentiated brand that stands out to people so that they're willing to pay more for it, so that they're willing to buy you if you're not like having a sale, so that they're willing to stick with you when someone else comes to them and says, hey, my brand is available in this space and it's you know got X, Y, and Z going for it. That, when you have a brand that does that, that brand is elevated above other brands. And that is what we help brands accomplish. Absolutely. Um, I, I love that idea of brand by default versus an intentional brand. Because yeah. if you think of so many companies they just feel like if I don't, if I just put keep my head down, um, I don't have to really worry about this. I'm selling something pretty basic and people that need it know about it. And I don't really need to need to get involved. And there's so many places that conversation can be happening. So whether it's one person has a bad review that they give on Twitter, like something mm-hmm. funny and it goes viral. I it, This is years ago at this point, but I remember a guy wrote a song about United Breaks Guitars. Mm-hmm. And literally at this point, this is probably like 15 plus years ago. And I still remember that it was United and they broke his guitar. And I remember <laughs> that stuff can <laughs> stick with you. And so if you're not in that space, um, it's not just about the negative reviews, but it's about, you know, let's say even people are telling the stories about how they're using your offering. And it's one small sliver of what it is that you do. But that becomes the narrative that that's what you do, because that's all everybody ever talks about. People right. aren't aware of the 10 other things that you could be doing. So that whole idea of you need to be intentional about creating that brand. Um, that's that's a really powerful concept, and, and it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Some more some brands are born differentiated, right? But the vast majority are not. And even if they're born that way, sometimes they need to like rethink what they're doing as the world changes, and we know how much it can change. in you know, in recent years, so I, it's it's really important. Like when we look at what can differentiate a brand, what can elevate a brand. There are two primary things that we always look at, and we call them AR, and we don't mean augmented reality. We look at what can the brand authentically own? That's the A. Like something, you know, we don't want to say we can do something or we can be something that we really can't be because why spend the money to market to get people to find out that you can't be that and then go out there and write those negative reviews and never, you know, use your product again. Um, So the A is authentic. And the R is what is relevant about that to your target audience, right? Mm -hmm. If you are authentically defined in one way, you're really special over here, but that doesn't matter to the people you're targeting, then you need to, maybe you're targeting the wrong people, right? That could be it. Or maybe you need to dig into something else that's authentic about you because that's just not going to be enough to convert them to a sale. Definitely. I've seen companies, for example, that authentically are maybe fun to work at. And they really try to lean on that when it comes to their branding. 
Mm-hmm. And to a certain, like, I don't want to work with a company whose employees are miserable every day. Um, you know, we, we've all seen that. You go into, I don't know, like a, a pharmacy or something like that, and the people look like they, they do not mm-hmm. want to be at work that day. Um, but I don't necessarily have to see that they have like team building retreats and are climbing mountains together and doing all of this stuff. And sometimes, like you said, it, just because it's authentic doesn't mean it's relevant to me. And so figuring out even, I would imagine you could take that same concept and make it relevant to me, you know, get me to understand how that impacts me. But a lot of times, if you're just focused on that, that authenticity, um, it it might go over my head, or I I just think that you're just kind of saying a lot of stuff, but I don't really care about it. Right. If, If that fun and excitement is very integral to your brand, I think there are better ways to get that across generally. I mean, that's fun to do if, if you're the New York Yankees and people want to see like, you know, the baseball players doing something fun and different. Okay, then the fans are going to really enjoy that. But I don't think that's going to be the difference maker, right? I, I, there's a brand, I don't know if you know Native Deodorant. Mm-hmm. They, they, I love Native. They originally were a direct-to-consumer brand and, you know, now they've been purchased and, and now you can get them, you know, Target or wherever. But they've maintained what was special about them. And yes, their deodorant obviously is the product that's special about them, but their branding is what gets people to discover them, especially online. Like that digital discovery, what made their D2C brand successful was, you know, they were very fun, but intentional, very, you know, centered on what made their deodorant special. And then if you participated beyond the website and beyond the ads and you bought something, as soon as you place your order, you get an email and the email is really different and memorable. It says, you know, hey, you know, John was just sitting at his desk. It was three o'clock on a Tuesday and suddenly he went, oh my goodness, we did it. We got an order from Elizabeth. And they start talking about, you know, it wasn't just any order. It was this specific order. And, and they, you know, went and high-fived each other and they built this whole story. And you know, like no one's actually typing this out. It was a, you know, customer journey that was created and your name was popped in there. But it feels fun. You take the time to read it. Like none of us want to take time to read a long email, but this one's engaging and funny. You probably forward it to some of your friends. You go, hey, check this out. This is really, at least you do that if you're in my industry. (laughs) Um, You know, and you say, check this out. And and suddenly this isn't just deodorant. It's native deodorant and you're part of this. And I, I think that's how you can have the personality come through in a differentiated manner. I mean, their product is differentiated, but there are a lot of natural deodorants out there. So you have to find another way to stand out. Absolutely. And I think about um, so many different things. And like you said, it, it can be in literally the the buying experience. Um, mm-hmm. I was listening to an advertisement for um, uh, for shoes and they're they're all about um, lessening the, their impact on the environment. And one thing that just stuck out to me from the ad is they figured out how to send the shoes in one box. So you don't have a shoe box inside of another box and they're reducing the amount of paper and it, it's authentic to their brand, right? Because they're all about the environment and a little detail like that just stuck in my head. And days later, I can think of it and I um, you know, it's, it's amazing how, if you have that consistency, yeah. um, to me, like uh, how you combine that authenticity and relevancy, it, it's, it's about being consistent. You don't want to, um, you know, have one message that's very relevant, but not authentic. Right there. Like that was obviously relevant to you. Clearly you care about minimizing, you know, impact on the environment and they are aware, like that's why they're doing that. And that's an interesting way to do it. Now, more people can do that, but if they're the ones saying loudly, we do this, 
people will associate it with their shoes. Absolutely. And it's, um, and I love to, you know, to go back to something that you said earlier, um, you might have done this a couple of years ago and you can't just stick, you know, I think sometimes we view consistency as a good thing and it is, but you don't want to be complacent. And so finding, um, you know, over time, people's perceptions will change, what they want from you will change, what they need will change. And so if you aren't consistently going back to what's authentic about us, because your organization changes, right? Mm -hmm. And then what's relevant to our audience, because our audience cares about different things and has a different perspective. Um, you can you can have something that worked really well, even six months ago, and it's not necessarily as relevant now. That's absolutely true. Um, when we take clients through our brand elevation process, you know, many times it can be because they're a brand new brand or it can be because they want to, you know, stimulate sales or trying to find a way to, to differentiate and, and, you know, eclipse their competitors. Um, but what we like to say is this isn't the end, you mm -hmm. know, at least every three years, there's magic in the number three. I can give you the whole story behind why we're S3, but, um, but every three years is a really good time to go through the process again and, you know, gloves off, you know, unvarnished truth, really, you know, workshop it out and, and see if this is relevant, you know, now to the audience. Has the world changed? Is it so authentic to you? Are there other things that are more authentic to you or better to put out there? Um, yeah. It's, and then don't wait three years if there's something major that happens, right? If you have a major leadership shift that can change your brand, that's important to, to think about. If you have the world changing because there's, uh, you know, new ways to market that didn't exist before, new channels, that's important. If, uh, if a pandemic hits, you know, that's important. <laughs> so any kind of major shift, it's always a good time to, to reevaluate. Not that you have to take it down to, to studs, but to just make sure your brand is, is still, you know, that it doesn't need a little dusting off or, or you know, redirecting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a good framework to, to think of. It's kind of like the spring cleaning, but you don't necessarily have to do it every spring, every three springs. <laughs> um, all right. So, so we talked about that framework of authenticity and relevancy, but I'd like to maybe take a little bit of a deeper dive. So let's say you're a leader in an organization and you really want to discover what is special about your business. And let's say you sell something like deodorant, right? Or like shoes or, you know, just pretty basic. There's lots of companies out there that sell deodorant and sell shoes. How do you actually hone in on what kind of hits that perfect Venn diagram between A and R? Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, that's the money question, right? So what we, as part of our process, we have uh, a three-step process. And the, the second step is bringing together the key stakeholders in an organization um, and really drilling down with a lot of collaborative exercises, independent exercises to find out what data is out there. And by data, we don't just mean the numbers. We don't just mean, oh, look, we pulled our sales reports and this is the trend and all. That's all <laughs> great. But people sell to people. And people mm -hmm. who are key stakeholders and have the experience within a brand have things in their head. They remember a customer saying something or having seen something or interactions between them, or they know the aha moments when the, you know, when the sale gets triggered. And bringing together those and drilling down to that, getting the data out of those heads helps us to really go, you know what, here's an opportunity that's not being served by others in your space that you can legitimately own that will be relevant and, and meaningful and get people to pony up money for, right? Like that's ultimately the goal, right? We want to have sales and whether it's an altruistic sale or, you know, a capitalistic sale or a combination of both, 
this, you know, the ability to break through like that is really critical. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't happen generally unless you have that consensus come together, you get the group brain, and then you also get the alignment, right? When everyone who is a key stakeholder in the process is able to participate, and then we come back and give our recommendations, they know they had a hand in that. They know it was shaped. Instead of just having it kind of shoved down their throat, you know, the CEO says, this is the way it's going to be, and, and or an agency comes in and says, this is the way it's going to be. That, that's a hard pill to swallow, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're creating that pill together, then it's a lot easier. Definitely. And I, I love that idea of remembering, you know, people are selling to people and getting the stories from the people who actually hear from the customers. Um, I have clients where I've seen that the customer service team um, had all kinds of great information that they had gained because they're, you know, following up with customers and customers are reaching out to them. And that information just kind of sits in the customer service department and doesn't go anywhere. And then I've seen in organizations where they say, hey, guys, whenever you hear a great story, share it here. Um, And at least it gets shared internally. So sales is aware of it because sales could use those stories and marketing could use those stories. And like you said, it's also, it's the brand. And so it's not just about like, tactically, ooh, um, I heard one customer used this for this and it would cause this impact in their business or whatever. But instead, it's, you know, this is this is something that we're seeing over time. This is a trend. This is something people seem to really care about. Um, how do we integrate that into how we message and how we um, reach out to the market? Because clearly, that's something that our customers really do care about. No, absolutely. And, you know, those reviews are an important source to mine as well. You know, Mm -hmm. you can pull those threads together from some conversational intelligence and go, you know what? We're seeing that people who are influential in this space are talking about uh, our product this way and others are picking up on it. That is something we should delve into a little more because if, if that is meaningful, why not? Why not look at those insights? I mean, the people who are buying our products, our power services, are, are a real source of information that we should not neglect. Absolutely. And I think so often, um, one thing that we also see, and it's always it's always kind of funny because I, I can completely understand, but it's like um, a company will say, you know, we have a target market and we know we're getting a lot of that target market. And then we have this other market that we're getting, but they're not our target. So we're not really paying a whole lot of attention to them. And it's, mm-hmm. if, if, if that is really important strategically to your business and you've got your target and that little like spillover audience, but, um, you know, maybe... Maybe it's not worth focusing on it too much, but it could be worth, you know, in that three-year cycle, maybe going into, so why are these people that we weren't even targeting buying from us, what are they doing differently with our product or our service? Why, you know, what what do they get out of it? And is there potential for that to quadruple or more? Um, it could suddenly become an extra target market for you. That doesn't necessarily mean that, that your original one isn't right, um, but it's it's not you know, the only thing that's available. And it can be, it can be hard to kind of, it's not like you're saying you're wrong if you, if you decide to integrate um, something else. It's just a matter of more information has come to light. No, absolutely. And, and you want to have the whole picture so that you can make the best decision ultimately, right? And that you can put forth, like, this is going to be our positioning. And then you can live into it, right? The marketing decisions should be made around that. The internal decisions how are we going to do things? Uh, even, you know, what are we going to name people? Sometimes there can be a new way to name people. What's our mission going to be? What What is our role going to be? Instead of a customer care specialist, are you, you know, a, a different name that goes along with this? 
it, all of that together helps you live that brand, right? A brand isn't just a logo. It isn't just your ad campaign. It isn't just the emails that go out there. It's all of those touch points. And the people who work at the company behind the brand really should be brought in as part of it. I love that transition because that is where I think a lot of companies really struggle. So you you develop a message and kind of a theme and some words and whatever, you know, and you're like, okay, this is our brand. And then I show up at work next Monday and I put my head down and do the same job that I've always done. And it it doesn't always come through. And then you're going to get that that issue of um, you might have a mismatch between, you know, the pretty ads that are going out and all of the content that you're producing and it's saying one thing, but then the team doesn't seem to to live that out. So what are some ways that leaders can take that, um, they can take that message, they can take that brand and they can really help internalize it within their broad workforce. You've given some examples, but I'd like to maybe spend a few more minutes talking about that. Absolutely. Uh, We were working with one brand and I I can't share who they are, but they are a retail oriented brand. And it's it's an industry where the thing that people hate the most about buying, they they love buying, but they they hate the sales process. They hate waiting. That's a big Mm -hmm. thing. They, They go to the showroom and they end up waiting. And so we went in on the idea of time and and respect for time. And one of the things that you can do to show that is as soon as people come in, ask them, how much time do you have today? And you find out they have an hour, they have five minutes, whatever it is. And immediately putting that and transmitting it to, you know, via iPad to the person who's going to be handling them so they know exactly how long it is. They come over, they have their Apple Watch and they go, and you can tell I'm an Apple girl, uh, and they go, okay, I see we have this much time together. And they have, a, they have a built-in alarm that goes. And then as they're getting closer, if the person that they're interacting with is the customer is very engaged and wants to keep going, they can respect that and say, I know you only had five minutes today. We're, you know, we're closing in on five minutes. Would you like to you know, set up another time to talk? And you know, if they are really engaged, they're going to not be worried about that. They're going to say, no, 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 let me stay. So that idea of rolling out like a very specific technology and talk track and living into that that's what brings respect to t- for time to life, right? Otherwise, just saying we respect your time, you know, big deal. But when you tell people all of our associates have this, you know, this Apple Watch and they keep track of the time and they make sure you're out when they say you're going to be out, okay, then I'm not worried. I'm not worried that I'm getting a bait and switch. I see there there is legitimacy behind it. And so do all the employees. The employees yes. go, oh, right, we're part of this and, and we're empowered versus saying I have a, a sales quota that I have to keep them here as long as possible. No, there's a different metric. And that which you measure, you make more successful. So this brings them all into, into that headset together. That's a great story and, a, and, and such a powerful example and really shows the importance of thinking through this and, and taking the time to put something together as opposed to you could say, okay, our customers are concerned about time. And so we are going to put a big flyer on the outside of the showroom saying we care about your time. And we'll put, you know, quotes about time inside. But then if, like you said, if you don't change the metric, if you're evaluating how many customers can you interact with in a given day, um, you know, how quickly can you get people off the phone and, um, and, and whatever it might be, you're actually going to be motivating your team to do something differently. And it, it, that idea that everybody feels like I'm a part of living out our mission 
That is so critical. And I think that's one way that leaders have the potential to really um, not just elevate their brand, not just make their brand kind of stand out um, externally, but also make work more engaging and more fun internally is when people have that sense of here's how I contribute to our overall mission. Because everybody in an organization should have some role in the mission, even if it's just, you know, I make sure things are seamless internally so that people are able to do the thing externally that, that brings our mission forward. Absolutely. You know, one of my favorite brands is Bombas, Bombas socks. I love mm-hmm. them. Love, love them. I love what they do. I, I love their mission about how for each pair of socks they sell, they give a pair of socks to the homeless. It's the number one requested article of clothing in a homeless shelter that educated me. It also spurred me on to like donate socks and buy them and you know, donate because people don't buy socks to donate. Um, but when I think about their employees, their employees know they're not working for a sock company. You know, they're working for a company that brings people dignity. They know what's different about them. And that is something that creates a lot of employee loyalty, which, again, can only make a brand more successful. Absolutely. I think something that employers are really concerned about right now um, with with the way the job market is, is, um, you know, it's... Part of this is just logistics. Some people have ne- needed to leave their jobs because of, you know, family situations and other things. But sure. it's also a it's it's an easy market for people to to move around in. And if if somebody feels like they're just a widget, they're just um, just kind of a cog in a great big machine. Um, it's it's pretty easy for you to leave that job, especially sure. if you move to remote and you don't have the connections with your peers that might have kept you at a company. Like if you are coming on site um, and you your job is not the best, but you have work friends and you eat lunch together and you have, you know, the break room and all these other things that can make up for a lack of purpose and a lack of alignment to, to a mission and to a values. But if you've um, if you're sitting in your living room and you've got screaming kids and, and all kinds of other crazy things uh, <laughs> that all of those go away. And it's really only your understanding of how you contribute to your to your company that's helping make it sticky for you. So really important in these times, I would imagine. And and I think going forward, like another reason to your point that strong branding is is going to be more and more important, right? The idea of trying to not be a commodity, not being commoditized when more and more products and services and companies are opening every single day, you have to work harder to make that brand stand out. Absolutely. It's, it's been interesting to me. um, You know, I've been, I've been doing this for 14 years at this point. Um, The, kinds of companies that I hear concerned about being commoditized just increases every year where it's something that I wouldn't have even thought could be commoditized. <laughs> and even yet, doctors, right? Doctors, yeah. hospitals, things that, you know, didn't used to be a choice, right? Yeah. But now we have health, we're healthcare consumers. We go on and we look at Dr. Google. What does Dr. Google say? We don't just say, you know, one doctor said this, I'm going to do that. So yeah, we have a whole healthcare division that specializes in that because Healthcare brands, whether it's on the pharmaceutical side or on the hospital side, right, or on the biotech side, they have to find different ways to stand out now too. Absolutely, and it's it's a really interesting thing, especially you know something that we've we've been kind of mixing our examples, and I think there's a reason for that. But I, I want to hone in on that. Um, we've been sharing a lot of kind of B two C examples and you know products and services that consumers buy, but. What I've seen happening in the B2B process is it's become a lot more like the B2C process yeah. in that it, it is, you know, we've, we've, it's always been people buying. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's B2B or B2C, there's still a person. Exactly <laughs> um, right. 
But um, the the way that individuals buy has has kind of leaked into the way that that businesses buy. And you're seeing more of the individuals doing research and figuring things out. They don't want you to sell them and like help things scope things out. They want you to fulfill the order once they have decided what they want. And, um, you know, they're they're going 80, 90% down that buyer journey before they're even engaging with you at any point. And so the more you can have a consistent brand and a consistent message, um, the more you're, you're actually able to contribute even when you're not engaged with them in the buying And, and I, w- I would say even further than that, beyond consistent, it's got to be consistently differentiated, mm-hmm. right? Because if you have a consistent message that isn't differentiated, you know, it, it, it's hard to stand out. It really is. You know, how much money can you spend on keywords versus your competitors? How much, like, if you have huge budgets and you can beat all your competitors, you know, with your spends, then, you know, that's great. But it, most, most companies aren't in that position. Absolutely. And you don't want to be competing with the companies right. that can just, you know, throw all the money at things. And it's interesting to see the difference, um, you know, and, and again, I'll just go back to the examples that, that we've been discussing today and that, that you've shared, um, socks. Mm. You know, those are not a very exciting thing, but I will say I've got a, I've got a drawer for La Bamba socks as well. And it's when you have you have a message that just sticks out. Like it's the only sock I can think of that has mm-hmm. such a distinct brand. Yeah. Like I, there are other socks that you can go to the store and buy, but I can't think of another sock that I have feelings about, right? And mm-hmm. and it, there's so many different um, different products and, and services out there. And, and that's actually the interesting thing because I was just talking about businesses that weren't commodified before and are becoming commodified. But then you're also seeing companies that were viewed as a commodity, where they're able to step up above that. And that's a really interesting kind of spectrum to see your business on. Is it that you're in a space that used to be commodified or that is historically commodified? And can you elevate above that? Um, Or is your industry on a march toward commodification? And you can figure out kind of what about your brand stands out and slow or turn around <laughs> that that march toward being a commodity and, well, we have, really and, and you know when, when brands say to me that oh we don't have any competitors I, I mean that's almost never the case right you might not have somebody that does the exact same thing you do but you are competing for dollars right mm-hmm. you are competing for like people don't have whether it's a business or an individual purchase they don't have unlimited budgets so maybe you're a candy bar company and you're looking at all these other candy bar brands but Aren't you also competing with, I don't know, snack chips? And aren't you also competing with maybe apples and other fruit? Like other things that people are considering having at that time. Or maybe wine. You know, maybe people are eating yeah. chips instead of wine. <laughs> but you have to think about those things if you really want to find areas of differentiation. Well, and there's always the competitor of nothing at all. And, mm. you know, I could just decide not to spend and if you haven't differentiated, you also haven't demonstrated significant value to me. And so I just might decide to do nothing. And that's, again, that's on the B2B side or the B2C side. Um, the, the worst possible, well, I guess it's it's maybe worse if they develop a deep and, and abiding relationship with your competitor. But it's not great if they just decide, oh, I'm not going to do anything. And the whole point of, of marketing and of sales is to drive action. That's and right. if you can't drive that action, um, you're, you're really missing out. Absolutely. Absolutely true. And it's it's so interesting to, you know, just 
everything that we're that we're talking about today, it it sounds simple, but I can hear the complexity in this <laughs> and and the process in that um, it's you know like we've talked about this a couple of times, I think, but, you know, there are some companies that, that this is easy. And if you were formed that you're going to donate a pair of socks to the homeless every time you sell a pair of socks, it's easy to just say, okay, how do we leverage that? How do we get right. that out there? But if you make socks and you've never done that and you don't have a structure that makes it so you can donate a pair of socks every time you, you sell a pair of socks, uh, figuring out a different message, a different way that you participate in the market. Um, do you see that the process... I can imagine if, if you're in a commodity space and you want to be the one who has an elevated brand, it's mm -hmm. not easy, but it's it's doable, right? But right. let's say you're in a space where there's a lot of commodities and then there's a couple of brands that have elevated, that are out there. How do you find something that isn't kind of commodifying at, at the next level up, but that is is distinctly unique to an organization? Is that just the same process or are there different things that, that you think about in that case? Um, I think it's it's the same process, but I think you put another lens over that, right? Because then you have very specific competitors who, you know, you already thought of in a certain way. Um, you have specific competitors, like how can I, you know, basically take share from them, right? Because now you're a whale, right? So how do you take share from other whales? And how do you prevent people from defecting to, to other minnows who are popping up all over the place? Um, so yeah, I mean, again, figuring out what that relevance is, are you a brand that is, you know, has decided, you know what, we want to only appeal to a certain level of political people, you know, that's certainly going to be a breakthrough thing and differentiate you from a competitor. How are you differentiating, not just in the sector, but from these specific competitors? It's, it's just another layer to put on, but it is a very important one to consider. Definitely. And again, um, not relevant to some to some organizations, but there are some spaces where, where everybody has a brand and you're just trying to trying to compete um, kind of with that. So really thinking about who you're competing against and and not not necessarily going negative against them, but just clearly being different. And, and remembering that, you you know, you can say your brand is whatever you want to say it is, but really your brand is what people tell you it is. Like, Absolutely. what do people think of your brand? That's what your brand is. It isn't It isn't like what's on the piece of paper in your office. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if it were that simple? Right? It'd be so great. And you know what also is, is very difficult because we're humans, right? And we're like, oh, look, there's a squirrel. There's a squirrel. And, you know, we want the new and shiny thing. It's very easy for, you know, a company, a brand to go, you know what? Why don't we try this? Why don't we try this? And yes, we should be trying things, but within the strategic framework that we have agreed is this is the, mm -hmm. the differentiated place for us to be. So that also helps clarify those decisions like, okay, that's really cool. But if we're going to do that, it has to be through this, again, this lens so that it, it works and helps us row the same way versus like kind of pulling us in the wrong direction or maybe a different direction that we're not going to move forward together with. Definitely. And that's a, that's a really great outcome of just having this process. And really, I think it sounds like a responsibility of leadership um, yes. to, to just consistently call back to this is our, this is our mission. This is our message. This is who we are. This is our brand that doesn't align with our brand or that takes away from it, or that is great, but doesn't build it up. Um, you know, cause right. it, it's not always even that they're bad ideas, but it's just that they're good ideas that aren't relevant or aren't appropriate for the moment. Exactly. Well, this has been um, such a such a fun conversation. I'm thinking about like our brand and uh, and all of our clients. So um, the great work for for everybody to think about. Um, do you have any resources that you would recommend to our listeners? 
You know, I always love to have something that stimulates just some creative thinking that isn't, you know, what people think about every day. There's a book that I love. It's uh, it's called Pink Goldfish and it's hmm. by Dave Rendell. And it is about embracing flaws as a way to differentiate your brand. And it's it's such a great approach because so many times brands will say, well, like, well, what really is different about us? What really is? Well, sometimes if you own the thing that people, like you were talking about the United Airlines with the guitar, United Kill My Guitar, right? If you own, like maybe you're the great social media experts at, you know, having zingy comebacks or you know, whatever it is, if you own something that is differentiated in kind of a weird way or your own weakness, say, yep, we're great for everyone except for people who have guitars. Don't fly us if you have a guitar. <laughs> now, those are ways to stand out and they humanize the brand. Absolutely. I, you really see that. And, and sometimes it works because it goes with the, with the brand and sometimes it doesn't. Um, where you see that a company just hired a snarky social media person. And you're like, but, but why? <laughs> and it doesn't make any sense. And that's that whole idea of, of uh, a brand that's authentic, that's relevant, that's consistent across all the messages. And it's like, you can tell that it's just one individual who's like bored somewhere tweeting right. random things. It's like, no, that's, that's not part of a whole approach as opposed to having a consistent strategy that you're making things work. Exactly. All right. Well, if listeners want to learn more about you and more about your work, where can they go, Denise? Uh, just go to my, my agency website, which is s3.agency. So letter S like Sam, number three, dot agency. And you can see what we do there. And please feel free to reach out to me through there. I'd be happy to have conversation. Absolutely. Well, thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Denise. I really enjoyed our conversation and learned a lot. Oh, my pleasure, Elizabeth. Thank you for having me on. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything that Denise and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 324. If you enjoyed the show today, please recommend us to a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover the show. And if you haven't subscribed, subscribe wherever it is that you are listening right now. That way you get every new episode as soon as it goes live. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in your podcast app of choice or email us if you've got direct feedback, questions, and guest suggestions to podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and check out the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling!